Good afternoon. Let's pray. Oh dear God, our Heavenly Father, you are most holy. You're majestic. You are unfathomable. You are our creator. You are a protector and defender. You are great. We bow down before you this afternoon that you may be pleased in our study in the book of Psalms. Pray that you would bless us. Your blessing will be upon us today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, who among us here are using Psalms in their prayer? Not regularly, but once in a while. Yeah. Why do you use it? What is in it? Where? What? Why do you use it? Oh, because of great prayer. Yeah. Is it because it's like a a template of something yeah. like a? There, I think there are. You know, um, you know when you're, certainly in times of confession. Mm-hmm. Say it better than I can. Very relatable. It applies to our... Yes. And so that's the reason why we are establishing or studying the theology of prayer based in the book of Psalm. And that's the purpose of why I'm teaching this this afternoon. And the challenge is how to keep you awake. That, that's my other challenge here. So um, the book of Psalms is a collection of poems. It's basically used by the Jewish people in their worship. So these are hymns, basically, songs, and these are you will find some weird words in the beginning of its song, like a masculine of. What is masculine? I don't know. Don't ask me that. Some kind of musical note. And so they use this for worship. It's it, and in worship, we deal with what to uh, lift up the name of God, to recognize him, to adore him, to praise him and so on and so forth. So that's the, the essence of the collection of the hymns like this. And we use this in our worship singing. Even in readings, we do a lot of, like, at the beginning of our worship, we take uh, time to read the Bible from the book of Psalms. And so that's why we want to let us know more about this. So that's one of the things that we need to keep our eye on while we are studying this this afternoon. So I put here in your handout, uh, these are notes. Uh, You can basically, this is what I'm going to talk about. You speak, I'm going to read some of this. The uh, the first word that I put in here is worship. And the reason for me when I was preparing this uh, topic and teaching is that 
what is in all of us? What, what does Tommy or Corey or Shannon or Dennis tell us about us? It's all about us in worship. What we do, it should be in a form of worship. Whether we eat, whether we drink, whether we walk, and whether we sit down with our children, with our family, it should be some sort of like a lifestyle of recognizing God. And so we will talk a little bit about worship. And basically this is what the hymns are for. There's worship and there's the time God has allotted the people of Israel to gather together and worship his name for God's glory. And so what is worship? As a lifestyle, Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Number one, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Somebody says, all of our body life done in love for others and reliance upon God display the worth of God above all things and make us worshipers in our daily life. So it kind of sums up why I'm saying we, we do things it's like in a form of worship to God. If we are acting like unbecoming of a Christian, that's when we fall into sin, of course, and it needs to be corrected and repented of. So John 4, Jesus said, Through worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Now, I'm bringing another complex term, worship in spirit and in truth. How do we, and this is the prescribed way of Jesus when he was talking to this uh, Samaritan woman by the well about true worship. We worship God in spirit and in truth. So Christ gave us the spirit. But what is truth? John chapter 1 verse 1 talks about the incarnate word. Jesus Christ is the truth. And Jesus tells about also that sanctify them in the word. This is what he was saying to to the apostles, to the disciples. Sanctify them in the truth. It's what Jesus was praying to the Father. And what is truth? And your word is truth. So God has given us a revelation of himself that we may live by this truth and by his word. So we don't just haphazardly come worship without a guided principles and theology behind all these things that we do in the church and even at home, as Dennis taught us this morning, when we do our personal time in prayer, there must be a guide. And then when I ask you that question, who among you uses the psalm as a template, that makes sense now, that the word is the prescribed tool by which God has revealed himself, and that through this word, we are going to worship him. 
Um, John Piper, before I entangle. Uh, <clears throat> There's one more passage here in Matthew 15, verses 8 through 9. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Again, this brings us to a point where, what is the essence of your worship? Is it tied to the inner essence of your heart? What you're desiring, what you are saying, is it really true that you are worshiping or you are really adoring the immense power of God in the creation, in giving us provisions, in protecting us from evil and sin and sicknesses and things like that? When we are in situations where we are, for example, in dire need of something, we are in a situation where we are so uncertain of things, that's when our passion to approach God, to cry out to God, is more intense. Um, I remember this many times, but specifically in my life, there was a time when when Mila was in the hospital because of pregnancy-related uh, disease, when Mia was born, she was in the hospital for two months. But when I heard from the phone, I was in Japan and she was in the Philippines, that she gave birth to Mia prematurely, only 26, 27 weeks, very tiny. And the doctor said, uh, call the husband, because we don't know, 50-50 chance. So immediately, that, when you hear that news, that's something, it will really, really shock you or put you in a, uh, a very uncertain situation. What do you want to do? What do you, what do, you do? That's the time when you, your immediate response is to cry out to God. Call out friends to pray for that need. And so that's why I would say in the, in the deepest um, time of our desperation and certainties, that's when you become so passionate about God and praying for that God to help you. So we, we worship God to uh, honor him. And we honor him with our lips. I was just thinking lately about praying in silence. We, we have our, our thoughts in our mind. God can, can see that thought. But here in this passage, is like lips. You speak what is in your heart, what you desire. We can pray in silence, of course, but... Um, Verses like this, we worship and we pray to God with our lips. So John Piper mentioned something like this. Worship depends on a right spiritual or emotional or affectional heart grasp of God's supreme value. So again, in prayer and worship, we value who God is. So true worship is based on a right understanding of God's nature. Who is God? 
Do we understand who God is? True worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. The inner essence of worship is the response of the heart to the knowledge of the mind when the mind is rightly understanding God and the heart is rightly valuing God. 1 John 5, I think it's verse 18. John, oh no, I'm sorry, this is... Uh, Help me on this, Dennis. This is Peter. First Peter chapter 5 talks about uh, grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in the knowledge. Again, putting emphasis on understanding of who God is. Without understanding and knowing who God is, it may be difficult for us to pray. If you don't know that God can do a lot of things, all things, you have that confidence, you may not have that confidence of, about your prayer. You cannot trust whom you are asking for something. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 through 16. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifice are pleasing to God. So the sacrifice echo from the Old Testament sacrifices, which were at the center of the worship and were to display the value of God as we gave up the bull or a goat and showed that God is precious to us. Worship, we acknowledge God through our lips, but there's also a component of external act of doing good to others. And that's why this Hebrews 13, 15, 16 is so encouraging for us. We value God's redemption, and of course, because of the sacrifice that Christ has done to us. Um. Through Christ, two things become worshipful sacrifices in our life. That fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name, that is worship services in singing and praying and repenting and confessing. And secondly, the fruit of deeds. So let's uh, take a look further to uh, the second page here. Well, look at this. Romans chapter 9, verse 4. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. So I... Uh, kind of highlighted the, the word worship here. Where is or where does worship belong to, to Israel? That was the original, that's the plan of God. The greatest thing, one of the greatest things that happens is that uh, Christ came 
And there is reconciliation of the Gentiles with the Jews, uh, with God, with, together with the Jews. And that's when we are be, become part of this privileged people to worship God. If the Jews has this privilege of worship, what an immense privilege that is. You communicate, you commune with God, the one who created you, the one who made all things, and then one who can make you wise. So that's beautiful. But when you look at uh, chapter 4 of John, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman by the well, here's what he says. John chapter 4, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's the glory of Christ revealed to the people, especially to the Gentiles. We are recipient of this immense privilege of being able to worship God no matter where you are. You don't have to uh, go to Mount Gerizim. That's where the Sumerians worship God. But you mentioned here, Jesus mentioned that we worship what we know, but you, he said to them, you worship what you do not know. They just go there and worship. They don't know who they are worshiping. So, now, going to uh, prayer, and all this that I'm saying is that the importance of worship given to us, the privilege of such things, now we can pray. Prayer and worship is a, such a wonderful privilege that God has given us. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Did you see that? That access that God has given to us through Christ? Reconciling us to himself. And now we have this boldness to approach God's throne of grace. Prayer in the Psalms. We're now going to the heart of this topic. First, the Psalms greatly enrich the depth and breadth of our affections and our emotions. That's why uh, Aaron said it applies, it relates to 
my daily happenings, events in my life, personal life. So that we learn, for example, one, to lament in a godly way, to wait and hope in a godly way, to praise even in dark days in a godly way. So just a little background here before we go deeper into the theology of prayer in the Psalms is just a background. Here the information. The Psalter is composed of five books. So when I mention Psalter is basically the Psalms, the collection of 150 poems. Book one from Psalm uh, 241 concerns man, his state of blessedness, fall and recovery. This is just very, very shallow summarization of what book one, book two, to five is. So book two is about Israel, her ruin, her redeemer. And book three, looking forward to the establishment of the sanctuary or God's temple. And then you go to Psalm 90 to 106, the earth, the blessing needed, anticipated, enjoyed. And book five, the last uh, collection from 107 to 150, the praise of God and his word. And who are the authors? We just read it here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and anonymous. David, Asaph, sons of Korah, Solomon, Moses, Heman, Ethan. And each of these books are of similar doxologies. What is doxology? Praise. Praise. So, for example, in Psalm 41, in book one, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And it is followed in the other books. Book two, praise be to God. Oh, praise be to his glorious name. Praise be to the Lord forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. All begin with praise the Lord. Now here is some uh, identifications of Psalms. What are the types of psalms? Psalms of instruction. Do you have any favorite uh, psalms for instruction? Psalm 1. Dennis, we are on it. (laughs) Blessed is the man who walks not not in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, nor stands in the way of sinners. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates every night. Day and night. Day and night. Yeah. So, instruction. Very good, Dennis. Five points. Thank you. <laughs> How about ethical psalms? These psalms teach moral principles. You just, because of time, we're not going to be able to dissect all this. Go to Psalm 15, and you will see it for yourself, ethical psalms. How about Psalms of Praise and Adoration? Oh, these are, there's so many of them. um, Psalm 103 is one of my favorite uh, psalms in this category. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me, bless his holy name. What a beautiful psalm. How about Psalm of History? This recall historical events of the nation of Israel. You will find this. Psalm 78, 105, and 106, where the, the writer, the author, narrates from 
the beginning to uh, the exodus, to the deliverance of Israel, the whole historical narrative, but it's in a form of form. Um, prayer, uh, prayer and supplication, making requests of God. An example is Psalm 86, and we will look at this particular psalm uh, later on here. Uh, Psalms of Thanksgiving, an example is Psalm 18. Have you heard about imprecatory psalm? What is imprecatory psalm? Shannon, you, uh, you know this. <laughs> Cursing. These psalms are not for personal revenge, nor is bad language used. So as a prophet of God, the writer is simply speaking out against sin and the enemies of God. And if you look at uh, Psalm 35, 55, 58, and so on and so forth, you will find some of this. Let me take a look at Psalm 35, just to uh, give us some light on why it's imprecatory. So if I read this, uh, I'm not going to read all, but uh, the first Section of Psalm 35. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. What is the author addressing, or what is he wanting God to do? To fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Imprecatory. Um, It may sound to us, wow, that's... Use the javelin. Use it to those who are pursuing me, contend for my cause. That's what he was asking God to do. But what he was wanting is the wickedness, the sin that needs to be removed. And that's what he was wanting to, wanting God to address in that psalm. Uh, these psalms can be applied spiritually against this. I, I wrote this from uh, expository outline <clears throat> against Satanic attacks, fleshly sins and habits, and opposition to the gospel. They should not be used against individuals. Believers should not pray curses on people because it is the goodness of God that draws men to repentance, not curses. Um, how about confession psalms? Examples are Psalm 32. And let me see if I can go there quickly. Psalm 32. It says this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Instructive, I mean, it demonstrates what is... A person is confessing. 
How about suffering psalms? This is very, very well used, common. And we'll talk about that more in Psalm 1 when we go to Psalm 102. What is songs of ascent? Ascent is going up, right? Uh, Jerusalem is like going uphill. You're coming from the outside of Jerusalem. So they go there to worship. So when they do the procession to worship, they sing songs of ascents going to the temple. Um, Psalm 120 to 134 is filled with that example. There's more alphabetic or acrostic. Again, I'm not a musician. I don't know what this means. These psalms have lines which start with certain letters that follow a pattern in Hebrew. Psalm 119, the first eight lines start with words beginning with the Hebrew letter Aleph. I don't know what that is. The second eight lines start with the words beginning with Beth, etc. How about Messianic Psalms? These psalms or portions of them give prophecies relating to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Study the prophecies in the list which follows. So, any idea of what psalm has prophetic implications of the Messiah's coming? Exactly. Where is it coded in the New Testament? All of all places. Hebrews is one. Oh, many places there. Um, to give us a little more ideas of what features in the book of Psalm, while we are still establishing this theology in prayer, the book of Psalms, I mentioned already 150 poems. Um, it is about praises. It's a book of praises, but some of the psalms are written out of deep despair and questioning. It is a book of prayers containing the writer's innermost questions and doubts, as well as their praises and thanksgiving. So, the psalms, according to ESB Study Bible, expresses a variety of emotions, including love and adoration toward God, Sorrow over sin, dependence on God in desperate circumstances, the battle of fear and trust, walking with God even when the way seems dark, thankfulness for God's care, devotion to the Word of God, and confidence in the eventual triumph of God's purposes for the world. It covers broad that apply broad things that applies to us. The Psalms are the songbook of the people of God in their gathered worships and uh, it, is, it provides guidance to worship. And we are very particular for that as we worship here. About half of the Psalms are written by whom? David. Most of these are concerned with the trials of, of him. Lots of them. Five of the Psalms are superscripted as a prayer. And it was not clear why identified as prayers over against other psalms. There are so many psalms, but this particular five psalms has a, um, what did you call superscript at the beginning. That is his prayer of David or prayer of Moses. For example, Psalm 90. Um, the psalms as a whole provides us with the most detailed and sustained treatment of how God's people can should and must call on him. And it is a collection of prayers that is crucial in developing a biblical theology of prayer. 
So what is, uh, according to uh, my notes, the first prayer in the Psalms is Psalm 3. Again, the question is, wow, whose prayers are this in Psalms? The Psalms are not our Psalms. They are David's and the Psalms of Jesus, according to one of the commentators. Uh, and the other authors who wrote those uh, collections. We can pray in the same sense as the psalmist, that we are enabled by Jesus to share in his prayers to his people, uh, to his Father. His death and resurrection enabled those who follow in his steps to pray these psalms. Okay, let's uh, do some outlining. So, Examples of prayers from the man after God's own heart. Psalm 17. You can turn your Bible to Psalm 17. And let's see. Is our young men here have done some kind of outlining of the, of the Bible? Are you familiar with outlining? I'm, just, I'm not trying to test your abilities, but what I'm asking is, are you familiar with how you construct an outline to, to gain a better understanding of how the passage is written? And so here, for example, this is an example. You can write your own outline. Um, but this is what uh, we can say, maybe this is a good outline. Psalm 17, if I read this, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have proposed a purpose that my mouth will not transgress. With regards to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Let's pause for a while here. So in the outline, uh, what we see in section one, hear me. So... Verse 1, hear a just cause. Hear me for what? Hear for a just cause. So, Lord, attend to my cry. So, I'm asking God to listen to me according to David's prayer. To give her to his prayer from lips. Prayer. Well, you will, uh, you will find out uh, if you kind of dissect the chapter in this manner, you can now start to uh, exegete line by line, praise by praise. So hear me, and then followed by judge me in verse 2. Examine me, guide me, manifest yourself to me, guard me, deliver me, satisfy me. So you see the pattern there when we make an outline is, you, you, you see a, there's a common word is me. David is asking God to Listen to him. Hear his prayer. But he is also opening his heart. Judge me. Uh, Examine my heart. 
Guide me. Manifest yourself to me. Guard me that I may not go to the left or to the right. Deliver me from this uncertainty. Satisfy my need. So you will notice the, the, uh, the content of this prayer is almost like the totality of a typical person that you can relate with. But we need these elements. We need to speak to God. We need to uh, open our hearts to God. We need to ask God to examine if there's anything filthy in my heart that hinders me from approaching him or from doing good to others. We ask for his guidance. But uh, there are times also when we think that God seems to be so far away from us or not listening to us. And he is asking in section 5, manifest yourself to me. Um, well, manifestation can be, I don't know what exactly David was asking, but uh, if I'm going to ask, manifest yourself to me, Lord, I, I want to, uh, to see something. Not necessarily visible things to occur, but I want God's power to be manifested in this situation. That I may be delivered from this, or that I will be able to endure this trial that I'm facing right now. Um, satisfy me. Well, again, temptations come, and it's all over us, all around us. But when we are satisfied and content with God, we will be all right in the face of our Savior. Behold your face. What is that song? And I will be satisfied in the... Anybody know about that song? And I'll be satisfied. Maybe Mila knows knows that song. (laughs) Satisfy me. Your likeness. Another example here that uh, would be good for prayer is Psalm 86 in 88-89. But let's look at 86 quickly here. Psalm 86. Great is your steadfast love, a prayer of David. Similar to the first one that we did, Psalm 17. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. David is humbling himself, but he's asking God to listen to him. Hear my prayer. He was asking God, bow down thy ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. I need help. Preserve my soul or my life, for I'm Godly. Uh, again, it's not the intent of this uh, uh, session to, to discuss this uh, in details, but that is what P- uh, David was saying. It's preserve my soul, I am holy. Save the servant that trusts in thee. Be merciful unto me. Again, the, the main sections um, is like this. Hear my prayer. Hear my praise. Hear my cry. Just three major divisions, and you can populate subsections. The point here is you will gain better understanding of how David prays. 
Um, this particular, the next uh, psalm that uh, is particularly interested in, in terms of where in the New Testament this was used or quoted. So, Psalm 69 was interpreted and used in the New Testament. So, if you look at your handout here, there's a table. Psalm 69, Psalm 69, verse 4. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Well, John 15.25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Jesus was saying that, the fulfillment of this. Psalm 69.9a, for zeal for your house has consumed me. John 2.17 says his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now I want to leave this, the rest to you. Uh, for you to read that. I just want to jump to uh, the prayer of Moses in verse uh, chapter 90. I, I think it's not, it may not be proper to say chapter 90, like Psalm 90, maybe. Yeah, Dennis, what do you think? Shall we say Psalm 90? Yeah. So Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses. From everlasting to everlasting. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Verse 7, for we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So in this prayer of Moses, what does he know about God? Got the creator. Got the creator. What else? Uh, 
He is everlasting. He knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. He is a dwelling place. He also ends life from, he said, you, you, you to return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Um, what about anger? Does God get ang- gets angry? Verse 7, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. So there's that... Uh, Nature of God, but that's righteous anger to execute justice. Who determines our lifespan? God. That means He is sovereign on all things, and even our existence on earth. So this tells us. From this prayer of Moses, what we can pray for. So if you will look at this, how are you going to pray now? Dennis taught us this morning about ACTS, adoration. What's the second one? Confession. What is third? Thanksgiving. What is supplication? So where will you find uh, adoration here? In uh, Psalm 90. There's no direct saying that I adore you, God. But it's, there's some lines here that implies that you can. The greatness of God. Yes. It's adoration. You adore the immense magnificence of God. I mean, his immense power, his sovereignty, his majesty. Before the mountains were brought forth. So when you when you pray, you can say that. You adore him for what he has done to you, what you are experiencing in your life. Now, confession. When we look at uh, the sin of man, his anger and wrath, what is he wrathful about? What is he anger, angry about? When you look at yourself, so when, you, when David was praying about, uh, judge me, consider my heart, open it, what is in me? Now you, you contemplate on those. Now you, you look at yourself, God, look at my heart, what is in it? I am a sinner. I humbly ask for your forgiveness. You, you see that God giving you some understanding of who you are. And then Thanksgiving. Is there anything here in the psalm that may help us Say, okay, uh, Thanksgiving. There may not be. 
And the Psalms doesn't always con- consist of those four elements in that prayer. But considering the, uh, the creations of the mountains that I can enjoy, I can be thankful for God for that. Um, the life that I have, you know, if I uh, reach 70 or 80 years, I'm very thankful for that, Lord. And then the supplication uh, always is pretty easy to, for us because we always in, are in need. Um, I think I have to uh, move faster here. It's <clears throat> just so immensely interesting to me to kind of go through this. But uh, look at uh, on page, I don't know if it's page 8 in your handout. Oh God, our help in ages past. So you will notice many of our hymns here comes from, come from old hymns. Like, for example, this one. Oh God, our help in ages past. Isaac Watts. He wrote in 1719. But the uh, um, inspiration comes from Psalm 90 as a reference. For example, oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Verse 1 of Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in our generation. So we sing, and if we are singing it by heart, we know what this song means to us. We can adore God and praise him in the inner sense, inner, inner essence of our heart. We are truly adoring and praising his name because of that understanding that we know that he has been our dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. Um, You might just read that, continue this reading. I thought I want to read something before we close this. Um, Where is that? Psalm that has I cry out to God. Let me see. There's like a repetition of God, uh, the author of the hymn was saying, because of this happened to me, I cry out to God. Let's look at Psalm 107. Let the redeem of the Lord say so. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeem of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from the east and from the west, from the north, and from the south. Some wandered in desert, desert wastes, finding no way to, city, to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Verse 6, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Following that, from 7 to 13, verse 13 says again, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And then from 14 to uh, 19, 
again, it was repeated like a sequence of events. God has afflicted the people. Now they come to God. They cry out to God and God delivered them. I think the the bottom line here is that when we pray, and we can pray very passionately, the common or the most uh, common event in our life that we do this is basically when we are in dire need of him. Whether it's cancer, whether it's uncertainty in job, whether it's relationship, especially family relationship, difficult times, you will cry out to God. And I imagine some of our folks, families, are undergoing such tremendous challenge in their life. And the thing is, God has given us an opportunity to pray for them. They are praying. They are crying out to God. These are desperate times in need of enduring peace that they may find Jesus Christ in the midst of the situation. Then you can cry out to God and God will deliver. So that's uh, some of the circumstances that we're dealing with makes us closer to God. Um, We are so preoccupied with a lot of things. Um, Dennis mentioned this morning about uh, how much distractions can be noise, can be screen time, could be uh, spending time with a lot of things that we forget to to pause. Psalm has this term called Selah, which means pause. And you will find out why there's a pause there. If you contemplate on the preceding verses before Selah came, you will see why it is important to pause. Reflect on the goodness of God, for example. Reflect on how God has answered and delivered you from such uncertainty. And God becomes so magnified and he is manifested in those circumstances. Let's pray. Yes, sir. Before you finish praying, can you add Vanessa Leo? Let's pray. Father, you are indeed so marvelous, good, loving, merciful God. Today, we come before you to uh, lift up our sister, Vanessa. We're praying for healing for her. Praying for the treatment that will be successful. Praying for wisdom for the doctors to apply such treatment. We especially pray that uh, you will be with them for with Vanessa and husband and the family. We cry out to you for them. I ask for your grace among all of us here that we may continue to seek after you, to know you more, that we can worship in spirit and in truth. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat>